This podcast is recorded in Australia, on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I wish to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and give thanks to the knowledge they have shared. Hello and welcome to Moments of Change. My name is Melanie Raymond and I'm a social designer based in Sydney, Australia and currently a director at the Australian Centre for Social Innovation. Moments of Change is a podcast dedicated to exploring the moments that we learn from as we seek to design and cultivate positive social change. In this first episode, I speak with Meg Pagani, founder and CEO of Impact On. We cover the challenges of being a purpose-led founder, discuss how Impact On is democratising solution patterns or recipes as Meg calls them, and asks you to join her new plight in bringing forth the hard-learnt lessons in fighting COVID-19 in her homeland of Italy. Impact On is a tech-for-good startup that analyses and spreads proven impact projects for communities to adopt and re-implement anywhere that's needed. I've been following Meg's career for about six years now. Her determination and energy has always amazed me. She has been working at the crossroads of technology, sustainable development and impact investing, setting up and leading impact-driven initiatives between Europe, Latin America, the US and now Portugal. She has been named one of Forbes Europe's 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs in 2018 and has been a World Economic Forum Global Shapers member since 2016. I hope you enjoy this first episode of Moments of Change. Welcome to Moments of Change, Um, actually the first episode of Moments of Change. Um, I'm sorry it's not under better circumstances uh, due to the coronavirus, and we'll touch on that uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to ask you, Can you please describe your current role at Impact On and and how you're seeking to create positive social change? Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, uh, host and guest together with you for this first episode. Uh, The circumstances are not very easy, but definitely the best ones to talk about social change and what all of us, every single one of us can do in front of the Mm -hmm. things we want to change in the world. I think... uh, I think that everything is an invite and every situation is an invite. So maybe this is one that is more collective than others. And I am the founder and currently the CEO of Impacton is a social business and organization that selects proven impact projects that are working and have proven their impact somewhere in the, in the world. And then we help them translate in their formula or their DNA or recipe, as I say, you know, very Italian of me. Yeah. Uh, to translate <laughs> to translate the recipe for being adopted, adapted especially, and then diffused in other locations. Uh, some people call it decentralized scaling. Some people call it turning projects into movements, but it uh, definitely covers what we do at Impact On. Following your journey, I suspect for uh, maybe about six or seven years now, can you tell me how has your view of your purpose evolved over your career? 
Oh, um, that is very interesting as a question because um, I feel that specifically in the last six years, I had um, started and ended several lives or perspectives on, on social impact, social justice. <laughs> I've been, uh, as you know, involved with a refugee crisis. I was in Chile for the Tech for Good, now more into the uh, service providers space for social change and behavioral change. I would say that... Mm -hmm. Two are the main things that come to mind when you ask me that question. One is sometimes um, as the ones that are, are in the social innovation or social change space, we sometimes uh, forget about ourselves a lot. And I think that that perspective uh, shifted a lot in the past years uh, for several reasons. First of all, because I am an ex-athlete. so. As an ex-professional volleyball yes. player, uh, I have um, I have a very big tank of energy, and on top of that, I you know I'm Italian, <laughs> and you've met me. I'm a very tall giraffe, so I think my tank is particularly big. <laughs> and um, and I think that uh, you know over the years I somehow benefited from the type of lifestyle and health that I had over the years, and I was one of those mm. that, as many others, would um, enjoy very much to be in the front lines of the things we wanted to change, but not necessarily in the front lines for ourselves. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that it's a zero-sum game between the two. What I'm saying is that particularly after being involved with a refugee crisis, I, um, I understood that it's a very important uh, lesson to learn for anyone that wants to create change elsewhere. Uh, in the same one, again, in the same way, we are in the front lines for the, for the causes or the challenges or the crisis that we want to help. Mm -hmm. We need to be in the front lines for ourselves as well. Way too many people, especially in the humanitarian and aid sector, I would say, where things are somehow always amplified, always enhanced, because life and, and death are polarizing in those environments compared to maybe the sim simple or simpler sometimes social entrepreneurship sector in other places of the world. And I would say that uh, that is the perspective, one of the two perspectives that um, the most shifted for me. I started actually learning uh, about something that is, is called extreme caregiving syndrome. Um, it's, it's not a pathology. Right. It, but it, is, it, it does exist as a behavioral pattern where whoever is too attached to caregiving or to give or protect or do for others, yeah. et cetera, it is a form of projection of our own insecurities and our need to somehow find realities that we feel depend on us so we can confirm our own value. And don't get me wrong, I, I do think, and I know enough about psychology today for, um, to know that we all human beings have uh, something to heal or understand or learn across our own life journey. But I find that in the social impact space, there is a particularly high, of course, empathy and sensitivity for the suffering of others, but not enough awareness of what is the healthiest way to, to approach that. And um, Yes. Saying that you were going on that journey about self-care, really. And I think it, a lot of uh, founders of uh, organisations in this space really, really suffer from that, that uh, need to continue to be conscious of, of self-care. Um, and so what, what have you learned in, in that 
for yourself that you could share with others? Um, so I definitely learned about the importance of this um, weirdest thing called weekends from time to time. And, and I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not taking lightly <laughs> and I'm not saying, uh, you know, that life to be perfect should be nine to five and Monday to Friday. Don't get me wrong, but we do have, mm. especially founders, this um, very sharp awareness that there is always something that we could do to push our vision forward. There is always like yeah. one more conversation we can have, one more article we can read, one more uh, notepad we can fill with ideas. And, and it's all very good, but as everything, there is a high and a low. Uh, creativity, uh, like breath, needs contraction and expansion. If it's mm. only expansion or only contraction, depending on how you want to see extreme work uh, represented, um, an organism cannot live without pulse and pulse like music, mm -hmm. like breathing. It's done, it's, it's done and made of notes and pauses of rhythms. And, um, and for myself, you know, I call it, I always make this joke about this weird thing called weekends because it's true. I mean, even in volleyball career, you don't have weekends because on, on weekends you have the most important part. Well, one of the most <laughs> important parts of the, of the week, right? You have the match. Um, yeah. So I think that um, it's funny how sports sometimes can make you super healthy in your lifestyle, but at the same time, make you completely non-wired for, for weekends as well. So I did learn right. to take pauses. I did learn to take them uh, whenever I, I actually feel like. Sometimes uh, over the past two years, I had my pause day, completely pause day, maybe surfing, maybe nature, maybe reading on Wednesday, for example. It gives you an odd pleasure to know that everybody else is having their Wednesday as usual and you're taking your weekend. Yeah. Um, no, taking pauses, and it was definitely one of the most important ones, and, and nutrition as well. Um, we tend yeah. to forget that what we feed our body with, we're feeding our second brain and our brain ultimately, you know, uh, with mm -hmm. um, activity. I mean, it all sounds maybe a little bit of, of a cliche, but. Um, also, more of a holistic approach to my lifestyle. Uh, it's something that changed incredibly. Um, again, athletes are good at pushing the limits, but we're also trained, and I'm very thankful for all my very patient coaches for that. They were trained to, to be careful and to understand the holistic nature of our body and our mind. Um, we are taught that performance is made of many different pieces that align in harmony, not just of one thing uh, that works very well. So if I um if I turn to now impact on um yes. I recently uh, saw when I was researching before the show uh, your TEDx uh, in Milano on scale versus diffusion yes. and I know it's something that we've we've spoken about many a times over the years is around you know how do you adapt uh, impact on's blueprints to different contexts and I, I know you use the the word recipe which I love and it's a great metaphor that evokes very specifically uh, things in someone's mind about how that would uh, adapt and adopt in in different spaces could you explain a little bit more about the techniques you use uh, to adapt those blueprints to to quite vastly different contexts yes absolutely 
um, it's funny you mentioned the TEDx. I was I was very very nervous that day. I never spoke about my work in Italian <laughs> before. I actually did some false friends that day um, during the TEDx <laughs> in my own language. Um, well, you couldn't tell. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so about the impact on and the, and the, what we call the blueprint technique. So impact on yeah. uh, was really originated by um, by acknowledging when we acknowledge and particularly in, in my case myself when I was in the in, in the north of Greece for under the refugee crisis period and involved in there uh, about the fact that way too many times we have incredibly effectful effective impactful solution and projects that either don't want mm -hmm. to take the road of what we call centralized scaling or scaling yes. as usual if you want so maximize profits uh, minimize cost and reach as far as you can mm -hmm. however you can uh, or not even the franchising uh, either because the founder does not want to change his active his role of active social change maker into an international manager banal like but it's, it might sound banal but i did actually have social entrepreneurs telling me we don't want to do franchising because we're not the right people to say to someone on the other part of the world how to do things or that they should use our name. We want something different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and normally the other option is really just focusing on doing what you do as, as well as you can and as, you know, as effectively as you are doing it. And, and these solutions mm -hmm. sometimes are lost forever. And not lost forever necessarily because they're not known. Sometimes the, the problem is exactly that they get awarded or very, um, you know, they get a lot of publicity, but they still don't have the means for their knowledge or their recipe or their DNA to be passed on to others mm -hmm. and not necessarily in an open source way. Um, so Impact on really builds around that, about, okay, how can an organization be a bridge a translation platform or system where, you know, as a system, information flows in, it's elaborated in a specific way. I'm going to get to that in a second. And it gets out on the other, on the other side in a way that is not informative anymore. Uh, you know, in design mm -hmm. and in information and in strategy of information, we know that it's completely different to present a project to be known or present a project to be done. And it's completely different to present a project to be known for its performance and, and qualities and the impact or to present a project to be not only done, not as an, an instruction, you're not handing a manual, you're not saying to someone, you should do this. You're saying to someone, mm -hmm. hey, that bottle need to get on the shelf. And, you know, in Italy, we did it with the right hand and it took us three seconds and it costed $1. In Australia, you might want to use the left hand and maybe take a little bit more time because of X, Y, Z. So the outcome is the yeah. same. It's what we call outcome-oriented strategy or guidelines. That strategy of translation of information is normally something that the originators don't have. It's normal. They're great at being social, social change leaders, but they're not necessarily great <laughs> at repackaging their information for someone that has completely different lenses, probably a similar heart, probably a similar mission in life to contribute to the improvement and the betterment mm -hmm. of life of others, probably similar resources or, or similar you know, passions, be it plastic, be it climate change, be it whatever, um, but mm -hmm. different ways of cooking that recipe. 
and maybe even an enriching way of cooking the recipe if that recipe is handed in a way that enables and creates that space for both uh, top-down guidance, you know, hence advices, this is how we did it originally, but also bottom-up adoption and adaptation of that recipe. So, you know, so everybody can cook the recipe in their own way, in their own kitchen, with their own tools, um, and, and share the learnings. This is really what Impact On is about. And, and how do you, it's so interesting, you know, I've, I've, I've been involved in similar things where we've had to adapt and adopt models uh, from different sort of systemic contexts. And it's always, it's always struck me about how do you find that recipe card of understanding, you know, all of the levers in that particular context and that system that are at play, you know, whether it's the politics of that of that place, all of the relationships that uh, interact uh, from different institutions and the health of those relationships, the value flows that are, are in and around that, the funding flows, and even the sort of community needs that, you know, differ because of their own different histories and, and culture. Um, and, I, you know, I, I like the recipe card because I always liken it to sort of turning dials on an equaliser that you need to be able to sort of figure out which ones I need to dial up in this space and which ones I need to dial down. Can you talk a, a little bit more specifically about how, how does that work and how do you understand uh, that context? Because I know that you support people uh, in the sort of... Uh, the exchange of those blueprints, but how do you then go into that that system or that community and and figure those things out with people? So we generally don't, and and reason why we don't, um, and I'm going to explain uh, now, is because exactly of the reasons you said um, recently. Yeah, right. We we do create a support. So when when we started this, of course, um, we knew about every other um, attempt, or no, 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 I don't know if about every other attempt, but yes, about the strategies or the approaches that exist today in the industry of you know, multiplying what works. We definitely haven't invite, invented it. But um, <laughs> I mean, not definitely not. I mean, it's been thousands of years that this exists. You know, we want to spread what works. You, you mentioned coronavirus. Yes. The first natural thought about uh, what that we have in front of a challenge is that great who sold this before and and the problem mm. comes arises just when you know the information is not that available or um easy to access so in our case we have taken a decision of you know when the team was in argentina and in latin america uh, we did some more hands-on work because we wanted to understand the mechanisms but the mission was always trying to create that um the space for as i said emergence Mm -hmm. There is teams where, you know, if we would go to um, every single replication in inquiry um, place and work with these local communities, for sure we have the skills, we have the experience, we have done it before uh, in this organization and in the previous ones that we belong to or supported. But there is always something that um, you said perfectly, there is social norms or hidden patterns in a specific culture that you normally are not able to detect as easily. You're not able to yeah. imagine as easily. And even the best intentions, and I, I think we both have experience in this space, sometimes you end up, uh, maybe not you and I, but you can end up disrupting local structures or local patterns in a way that 
in the moment in which you are, maybe it's not that visible, but then it becomes more visible about a cause and effect ripple, if you want to affect it, yeah. we trigger it even unconsciously. So, mm-hmm. um, and this, you know, I, I think, um, you know, sometimes we understand our story um, as, as, um, as one says, uh, looking backwards, right? And I think the reason why we have decided not to be an organization that is hired necessarily always to be on the ground and helping this um, local communities all over the world is because I, when I was growing up in Italy and I, you know, it was the 94, 1994 when I was creating a mess in my primary school because we were doing poetry instead of speaking of the Balkans war and involving better the migrants, um, <laughs> children that were in our class. So, I did have a touch of social justice call already, but I also had a very strong um, struggle, personal struggle in resonating with uh, the social justice opportunities I had in front of me or around me, which were primarily mm-hmm. Catholic or church driven. And I was raised in a family that was very spiritual, but also very open culturally. And um, or there were international cooperation, also pretty faith driven, where Again, it's us who go somewhere and teach others or do things with others in a way that we think it's better. And, uh, mm-hmm. and especially back then, you know, when I was a kid, um, we didn't have the knowledge of systemic design or co-creation or, or human-centered design that we have today. Um, so definitely back then, I sort of created this, um, this barrier where I said, I'd rather not do that because it does not align with my values. I want to find a ways for sharing knowledge so that other people can learn in a way that is accessible for them to navigate mm-hmm. and to transform their own reality. Um, I think it also ties a little bit to, to my passion of, of personal transformation. There is no collective transformation and change if we don't have a personal one first. And sometimes, um, again, psychologically it's proven that when we want to have a, different trainings around the world, around one project. After some years, when you do the you know, impact measurement or impact assessment, you figure out that the empowerment levels or the commitment levels or the accountability levels that you were expecting because people were trained about these projects, they're just not there because you sat down 10, 15, 20, whatever number of people and you told them how things are done. It does not mm-hmm. enable reality of emergence or certain behaviors so i i wanted and i'm still on very much on the journey of exploring how can we build systems where we're not needed to then you know take communities by the hand and do things necessarily bear with them okay so make you have a particular moment of change that you brought today that you wish to share us can you tell us a little bit about that story from argentina Yes, yes, for sure. Um, so I lived in Argentina for about two years and a half. I uh, went there right after being involved with the refugee crisis. And one of the first things that happened uh, when I was there and, and thinking about these open projects for diffusion of solutions or best practices, and today it's called Impacton, but back then was a pro bono sabbatical project idea. Um, <laughs> I am. I started being told by uh, a few friends or friends or whatever, the communities that I was forming there, that I really need, needed to sit down with Padre Mariano and with Lucas Recalde, both of them, nomin- mm-hmm. like named to me over and over again. And, and these two people, Padre Mariano is a priest and Lucas Recalde is an right. ex-rugby player 
um, of 50 something wow. years old. He will forgive me if, we, if he will ever listen to this interview for not remembering his age. Uh, as rugby player, as rugby player, I think um, that's okay. Former, thank you, thank you for for your support. My memory is really abandoning me. Ex-rugby um, player, uh, event planner, um, manager of an agency. Uh, father of three, beautiful family, uh, and he was working with Padre Mariano with this priest um, in the worst neighborhood of the Cordoba province, the one where, uh, as in many other places, poverty mixes with drugs, uh, dealers and, and cocaine, etc. And uh, and the mm. most vulnerable are used to, you know, prevent this system from going down and everything that goes from there, literally anything you can imagine. Uh, it's it's what in urban assessment they call the purple or the or the red zones. It's like it's beyond red actually. Uh, in Spanish, yes, it's right. called yeah. So um, and and the story that moment of change for me was when I sat down with um, with these two people. They were working together, and I sit down with them, and you know they don't necessarily represent the social leaders of social entrepreneurs that people mostly are expecting or imagining in their minds or having as archetypes of the leaders that will talk to us from a stage of some you know international impact conference and i'm sitting down mm. with them and and listening to both of them um not only i was incredibly moved by what they, they were and they are building there but lucas regard in particular that he then became uh, i would say our first client maybe he's just as crazy as we are but uh, he came up with this recipe or this project where he um, found a ways to use plastic, but non non recyclable plastic, which is the plastic that is the hardest to use because normally either we just leave it in the land or the ocean or we burn it. So non recyclable mm -hmm. plastic that comes out of the ocean of, of rivers or landfill, and to use an open source mechanical press. So it's, um, it does not require a lot of strength because it's mechanical and it's open source, so there is no patent. And he, uh, with his organization, Press Construcciones, employs women and children, well, not children, sorry, youth, so over 18, but coming out of um, yes. drugs or criminality, and employs them yes. to build these houses uh, because the plastic is, pressed into building models and these building models are used to build uh, even true floors houses that then are decorated in sometimes in extremely beautiful ways um all the um if you want the technique or the methodology has been tested by engineers without borders is policy ready it has all the certifications for isolation and safety so it's literally a house but if a third or a fourth of the cost uh, and on top of that it creates wow. a local economy no, it's incredible. Um, and as I'm speaking and getting to know Lucas Recalde, I remember him telling me this phrase, um, which was, like, I, I always knew that I wanted to contribute with my well, like, to my surroundings, to my local reality. And I, and I got awards. I got awarded by the government. I got awarded by uh, international foundations. But, I, but I'm a social leader. I'm not an international manager. And, and some days I would go home back to my family thinking this could change the world, but also knowing that I would never be able to do that because I, I, this mm -hmm. is a project that will never create the profits that are necessary for this to happen in every city that needs this. He actually told me there is about 60,000 cities in the world that needs this, like 
any city that is above, I don't remember what he said, but it's like 7,000 people has a plastic that is not recyclable and could be turned into houses. And how am I going to go yeah. over the planet in 60,000 towns, even if everybody needs yeah. this? And, and then he told me, when I met you, I understood that I don't have to do that for this that I have created to change the world. And maybe as entrepreneurs, and he said, as Padre Mariano teaches, we do not need to scale together with our projects. We do not scale together yeah. with our heritage. And, um, and somehow that all came together as a second moment of change, or, or maybe it was a very long one that concluded two or three weeks ago. <laughs> Um, when this uh, lady, young lady from Nigeria contacted us, uh, I mean, contacted us, started the replication on the tool, like the, the projects are autonomous, they're on the, on the platform. Whoever wants to start uh, replicating a project can start um, interacting with a very initial form of artificial intelligence chatbot that basically uses natural conversation techniques for them anyone to start figuring out if they can start with the validation of the project uh, on the ground, what are the things that they want to adapt, mm -hmm. how, uh, mm -hmm. if they have everything that they need, if they don't, how they can get started, and all, you know, all of this autonomously. Um, so the lady started the, the process, so of course the team got a notification, and when she, when she finished the process, um, normally we have a conversation with every replicator that is uh, wanting to replicate a project that is a social enterprise because there is agreements to sign, of course, with the originator, and we and we facilitate that. Even if it's everything on the tool, we we really want to touch base. And uh, and this lady tells us this story about you know she got the funding from the university, she got the team of young students, she got the um, permission, et cetera, et cetera, to do this project on plastic, and then she started googling the project. Like normally we're used mm. to, to have replicators coming maybe from the audiences of, of our originators, but not necessarily that organically. It doesn't happen that often. And in this case, um, it was a huge moment of change for me because she said, you know, I, I Googled non-recyclable plastic project and, uh, <laughs> and, and your project came out and, and it was in English. And I was very surprised because he said that the origin was Argentina. I, I normally mm. was used to find projects where I then would have, you know, to contact the creator or the entrepreneur and hope to hear, hear back. Mm. Um, and, and she asked me, does Lucas speak English? And I told her, Lucas barely speaks his own language. <laughs> she, he would have not been able to, <laughs> to, to answer you, even if you wanted to. Um, yeah, and wow. that was a huge moment of change for me because this lady now has everything she needs um, to, of course, she can get in touch with Lucas. We can also mediate the conversation if they want uh, for small translations that are probably going to be necessary. But, uh, but the project mm -hmm. is ready to be taken on and, and, and relieve uh, somewhere else. And in this case, it's in Nigeria with a few hundred students that can learn building houses for others. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that really shows the power of the platform uh, that you've built and uh, the purpose behind it in being able to sort of democratise these these recipe cards, these blueprints, as you call them, across the world and for to allow sort of empowerment of people all around the world and change makers all around the world to take up these and, and, and bring them into their communities themselves. Um, Meg, we're coming closer to the end and, and I, I really wanted to talk to you again 
this week because I know that um, you are, are launching a campaign uh, in response to the coronavirus and I know Italy has been hit with devastating consequences uh, and it must be it must be so difficult for you and, and, and others, friends and family and loved ones right now. So could you perhaps tell us a little about, about this campaign and, and what you're hoping to do in terms of collecting those patterns for people at high risk? Yes, um, definitely. This is a, a very moving week, uh, actually, right now in Lisbon. Mm. It's about 10 p.m. Uh, tomorrow I might get up to the news that we have the first signs of flattening the curve in Italy or that it's right. um, still not happening. And... Um, and you know it's it's uh, it's funny because I think this virus um, coming you know from the east coming first to Italy, a country again, nobody speaks Italian in the world. Why should they? Uh, but at the same time, mm. so much of the best practices that community came up with to respond, to prevent, to help each other with the mistakes that Italians did, that I am uh, committed to, to trying to support other countries not to do, or at least other communities in other countries not to do, including the denial, including thinking that it's just a flu. Uh, we did, like, we as Italians, we did mistakes there, which is uh, evidently creating incredible costs. But um, everything that communities came up with uh, was in Italian, and I realized that uh, maybe also a little bit as a catharsis or a coping mechanism, why why worried for yeah. my own family and my own friends, um, but very powerless, really. I'm just as far from Italy than from Argentina at the moment, because flights are interrupted, there's nothing I can do, um, but to serve, right? I, I Back mm -hmm. to what we said at the beginning, in these moments, you you realize there is only two ways to, to, to deal with anything. Um, and, and the two ways all depend on your own grounding. And you can decide to serve others because that's your calling. And your calling must include to serve in an healthy way. So not, you know, imposing yourself on others, not, you know, trying to be a hero when you're not having yourself back first. Or yes. shutting down. It is a lot of people that are just shutting down and taking care of themselves. And it's fine. It's healthier to do whatever you want to do than to anything else. Um, there is not a better or wrong mm -hmm. in this. Um, we need, right now, very focused mothers that are just at home with their kids and don't help anybody. It's fine. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. <laughs> um, but in my, in my own personality and in my own calling, I, I have decided to try to be, again, a bridge. I've said, okay, I read every day about how the civic workers have taken over a university and decided to use fabric waste from the hospitals to um, create protection equipment for the doctors. Because there is a lot of wow. um, first helpers and nurses and doctors that are dying because they're too exposed to the virus and because of the insane rhythm of work, their defenses are down. And in the moment in which the yeah. tools are not there anymore, they're the first to go. And, um, or mm -hmm. for example, another one that is very moving for me, um, you know, the people that are dying for coronavirus die lucid. It's not a, it's not a disease that takes you uh, asleep or, or that you're not, you're, you're lucid, you're awake, and you know for days that you're going. And for those days, you right. don't have your phone on you. You don't have any way to contact your family for a healthy goodbye. 
so for example, there is a yeah. very good friend of mine, a social media, uh, almost I would say influencer in Italy that decided to do a campaign to collect iPads and mini iPads to give to these hospitals for their terminal patients when they understand that they're going to, to call their families. The ripple effect of something as simple as this, even if the dying ones would be only 10, the ripple effect of having an healthy goodbye, it's something that our cultures sometimes incredibly underestimate. And it's just as simple as a mobilization for people to make sure to have some easy to manage with big gloves devices, which is not a smartphone, yeah. around in the hospitals for these people to go goodbye with dignity and honoring the love that they have for their dear ones. Or again, elderly, the, the elderly that are healthy and safe in retirement homes, they're alone. Mm -hmm. And not that many people are thinking that even if that they cannot visit, they can go to the windows. They can go to the windows with a cell phone and, and, and call a landline and just see their parents or their elders from, from outside. If their countries do not have any particular quarantine, you must be home or it's illegal or whatever restriction. And yes. so on, so on. There is thousands of this. How to save and help the freelance and the creators, how to support your local restaurants or cafeteria. Um, and, mm. and so apart, but united is really the translation of what Italians created in the first place, which was Divisi Mauniti, again, apart by united because we need mm. for this virus to be apart to to face the xenophobia that we have in our own culture that with something like this gets so enhanced i have friends from korea or from asia from other countries that were treated in inhumane ways these days because of theoretically what they represent but really they're not representing any of it and um mm. so apart because the physical social distance is, is, is necessary um, for our own safety and the safety of our dear ones. Even if we don't have the virus, we might be carrying it. But united because I think that, you know, there is this phrase that sometimes we, we find that is um, maybe when, when aliens or when an external force will come, we will unite as, as, as one, as one uh, yeah. country, the planet. And maybe it's not gonna come from the sky. Maybe it's coming in a way that we didn't imagine, but it is potentially uniting us. It is potentially bringing to the knees even the most powerful of our countries, the most powerful in our societies. The second person to die in Portugal was the CEO of a big international bank. Um, this virus is, of course, terrifying, and of course, it's taking lives that we would have never wanted to be you know, gone. Uh, but in every single moment of crisis, and maybe Italian Renaissance could be an example, as many others, we have the possibility to turn to our creative powers, to serve others or to serve ourselves or to reinvent or to allow breakthrough to come to us. Um, and this is really what this campaign is about, sharing the best practices, but not just for, of course, serving others, sharing best practices to make sure that this transition, this, this intense, calling for a transformation of our economy and our society can be seen as accepting that maybe we can reinvent and that freedom will, will, will take an ending of old identities, of old ways of doing things or old ways of thinking about what's normal, but the only way is forward.
Mm. Well, it's 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 such a uh, unprecedented time at the moment, and yes, uh, it, it's it is it's such an opportunity for us to shift our way of living, uh, and you know, just to really rally around communities. And I think that's what I. I love about uh, hearing your stories from Italy is that really community-centered nature of of how people are coming together uh, to to be human in these moments, to help each other in these moments, and to support each other. Um, Meg, thank you so much for coming on to Moments of Change, especially given the difficult circumstances at the moment. And I know that you've been working all hours uh, in the last couple of weeks because of this, more than normal. Um, it, how can people continue to learn more about uh, your campaign and of course, uh, Impact On? Where can they follow these? So definitely on um, social media, we use Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have a newsletter with bulletins of projects that go out regularly. The best way to learn about the campaign is definitely looking for um, at impactonorg, so uh, O-R-G of Great. organization. Uh, but the, the campaign in the show notes. Thank you so much. And uh, definitely it's going to be a um, dedicated feed for the campaign. It's going to be at a part mm. by United. Uh, also, it's going to be an hashtag. So the two channels are going to be working on this. Uh, you're going to find more projects, of course, uh, on the Impact On feed, but a part by United is going to be starting with coronavirus coronavirus will fade away we hope sooner than later and uh, we'll see what to do with this concept if continuing under other open stores and community driven things or letting it fade away together with the virus and create something else but for now definitely those are the channels Fantastic. where people can can follow this very best uh, to you. you and the people that you love, friends and family, and of course, uh, the rest of Italy. Thank you so much um, and best wishes. My pleasure. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to be a part of the conversation of the community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can request to join the Slack community and help shape future episodes connect with other designers around the world and join the newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our other podcasts, such as Getting Started in Design and Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion, Power of Ten with Andy Pallane, Decoding Culture with Dr. John Curran, Prod Pod with Adrian Tan, Ethnopod with Jay Husbrook, Moments of Change with myself, Melanie Raymond, and Talking Shop, our community podcast. So there you have it. 